welcome to the How to HR podcast. I'm your host, Shona, founder and director of Lilac HR, where we help equestrian and country businesses to become brilliant employers. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and let's get cracking. Hello, my lovelies. Welcome to the 50th episode of How to HR. 50th. We've done 50 episodes. Can you actually believe it? I have absolutely loved creating all of this podcast content for you guys, and I know that it is resonating. I know that you're finding it useful. And I just want to say a massive thank you for listening to 50 episodes of me um, and my guests, obviously. So to celebrate 50 episodes of How to HR, I thought we would have a little bit of a review of the last 50 years of HR, because actually a shit ton has happened. There's been a lot, a lot of changes. Now, I'm going to start a little bit further back than 50 years because I think it's really relevant. So in 1963, that's where we're starting our journey today. We're going to do a little bit of a timeline. 1963, the Contracts of Employment Act was introduced, which gave employees the right to have a contract of employment and statutory notice of termination. That's basically as far as the law went at that stage. But I think that's really relevant to consider in a time where we have employers who still don't provide their employees with contracts of employment. It's been enforced since 1963. (laughs) Come on, guys, get with the programme. So I just found that really, really interesting that it, it came into force that long ago and we are still struggling to get that right even though it's now become a day one right it's still something that we just don't quite manage to get so just remember that with contracts of employment you have to have them it's not optional and they have to have them from day one not optional we're then going to skip ahead to 1970. now in 1970 the equal pay act came into um consultation I suppose because it didn't actually come into force until 1975 but the Equal Pay Act meant that men and women were to be paid the same wage for the same job. 1970. It's 2022 and again we are still struggling to get that right. I know there's a lot more to consider with um, equal pay beyond just basic wages, it's commissions, it's bonuses, it's extra benefits. But I just find it really interesting to look back at when these pieces of legislation first came into play in the world of work and compare it to where we are now. We're obviously much further along, like we no longer sack women for getting married, but we still have work to do. We still have men and women being paid, well, we still have women being paid less than men. How is this happening? How are we... In 2022, how are we still not getting this right? Anyway, (laughs) get off my soapbox now. Following on from the Equal Pay Act, which took five years to come into play, I would love to know what Parliament were debating for five years about paying people, men and women, the same wage for the same job. But anywho, 1975 was a, a big year because the Equal Pay Act actually came into force. And the Employment Protection Act also came into play, and that made it unlawful to dismiss someone on grounds of 
of pregnancy or maternity leave. So another great step in the right direction for women of the working world. Shame it took till 1975, because I still think that's a bit late. But nevertheless, we got there. Then in 1998, our favourite piece of legislation came into play, the Data Protection Act. Now, I know lots of you are a big fan of the Data Protection Act and the subsequent GDPR rules. Um, <laughs> being sarcastic, obviously, because people moan about it so much. But the Data Protection Act governs the protection of personal data in the UK. And that is so, so important because although it's a right bugbear and it is a little bit of a thorn in our side, how would you feel if your personal information, your bank details, your passwords, your address, your date of birth, who you're married to, if all of that information was released to some stranger across the globe, how would you feel about that? So as we moved into this digital age where, you know, computers were becoming part and parcel of work, we're doing things much more digitally, it made sense to bring in data protection legislation. And I'm, I'm for one, I'm very, very pleased that they did that, despite it being a bit of a pain. 1998 was actually quite a big year. We also had the introduction of the working time regulations, which gives employees the right to 20 days paid holiday per year, breaks from work, and it attempted to limit excessively long working hours by implementing a 48 hour maximum working week. The working time regs only really went so far um, with trying to limit excessively long working hours because with the 48 hour working week, employees were obviously able to opt out. And lots of employees did take that decision to opt out because they wanted the overtime, they wanted more hours and more pay. What the working time regulations did do though was specify the minimum rest period between shifts and the minimum rest period per week to make sure that people were getting appropriate rest even if they were working over the 48 hour maximum working week. We also had the national minimum wage come into play in 1998. The first national minimum wage came into force in April 1999 and the rate was £3.60 per hour for over 21s. Anyone else, anyone remember getting £3.60 an hour? OMG. And when you think that actually now we're looking at £9.50, wow. <laughs> wow, the cost of labour has gone through the roof. But it's all relative, isn't it? Because the cost of living has gone up. You can't buy a house for what you could buy a house for in 1999. So it is all relative. As much as you might be thinking, oh Jesus, this is another hit to my wage bill. Yeah, £3.60. Crikey. 1999 is where we then come to. We have maternity and parental leave regulations introduced, which guaranteed maternity leave for 52 weeks. That didn't come into force until 1999. Before that, there wasn't anything guaranteed for women who had children. It was literally just a case of whatever your employer was going to offer you. I think there's plenty of women around the country who are quite pleased that that is the minimum or you know that's the guaranteed amount of leave that you can take as a new mother. I think it's worth pointing out at this point that I'm not covering every single legislative change since 1963 because we would be here forever and frankly I would get bored <laughs> so I know that you would. 
what I have tried to do is just cover the key pieces of legislation that we still use today and that have evolved since it was first introduced. It's all stuff that we will be familiar with, such as, you know, the maternity leave, for example. We're all familiar with that. We know about it. I just felt that, you know, yeah, I basically just went through a list and just picked out the ones that I thought would be interesting to talk about. <laughs> so we have the maternity and parental leave regs in 1999. A few things happened between between 1999 and 2010. But in 2010, there is a big piece of legislation that we still use and we still refer to today, which was the Equality Act 2010. Now, the Equality Act 2010 is not the first piece of discrimination prevention legislation. The Equality Act basically amalgamated all of the existing discrimination legislation, which we would we had had in place since 1965. 1965 was when the Race Relations Act was introduced. And from there, we had things like the Sex Discrimination Act and the Disability um, Discrimination. I can't actually think of the name of the piece of legislation now. Effectively, we pulled it all together and said, actually, we don't need a separate piece of legislation for all of these things because it all comes down to discrimination, um, bullying and harassment and all that kind of stuff. We can cover that under the Equality Act. It's all about treating people fairly and equitably regardless of their protected characteristic, which could be race, religion or belief, marriage um, status, gender, sex, maternity, you get the picture. So the Equality Act 2010 is something that we talk about still all of the time. We use it all of the time. We refer to it all of the time because it is a very, very key piece of legislation. And where you'll hear me talk about it the most is when we're talking about absence management. So you'll be sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, Shona, but I don't actually discriminate against my staff because I'm a reasonable person. And I'll just say, I know that. But you have to be really careful with the definitions within the Equality Act. Because, for example, within the Equality Act, the definition of a disability is, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I haven't got the actual definition right in front of me, but it's the, it's, the definition is, a health condition that has a significant detrimental impact on your day-to-day -day activities. So that could be anything. That doesn't mean that you must be in a wheelchair to be considered disabled. It doesn't mean that you must be in a straitjacket to be considered disabled. We have to make sure that we are expanding our view of what could be considered a disability under the Equality Act and making sensible decisions and people management decisions based on that definition. So we talk about it a lot when it comes down to absence management because someone could be having lots and lots of sickness absence because of an underlying health condition that they've had for a long time that has a significant impact on their ability to, to do day-to-day -day things. And that could therefore be a disability. So going out and sacking somebody because of their absence without examining the underlying health condition and making an attempt to make reasonable adjustments for that person could land you in a tribunal. So I personally love the Equality Act, not just because of what it stands for, equality, which is what we all want. It helps us to make sensible choices and sensible decisions, and it helps us to support people more 
because it stipulates what we have to do to support people, it helps us build a better workforce across the country. And I just think that's fabulous and exactly what legislation should do. Do we not think? So we have 2010. We had a little break then for a few years. We didn't we didn't get too excitable. Um, we had a few things around flexible working, um, which I think came into play in 2014. Um, but I chose not to talk about it in this particular little list because, well, we again, we could be here all day. You heard me get on my high horse just now about the Equality Acts. <laughs> So in 2014, we also had the introduction of shared parental leave, which in theory is a fabulous idea. In practice, I don't know. I think I know of one case where an employee has chosen to share their maternity leave. So shared parental leave basically allows um, a pregnant woman to split her 52 weeks of maternity leave with her partner because, you know, Dads want to be involved in their kids' lives too. So it it means that the the mum can say, okay, I'm going to take... Actually, I need to just retract that because it's not just applicable to dads. Um, it is also applicable to um, partners who are responsible for the raising of the child. And, and also, it also um, can be used in conjunction with adoption leave. So... I apologise now for that slip up in, uh, you know, assuming genders. Um, but essentially, it means that where you have a period of maternity leave or um, adoption leave, it's 52 weeks, you can split that with your partner. So you can say, I'm going to have three months, and then you have three months, and then I'll have three months, and then you have three months. Um, or you can do six months each, or you can have six months off together. Um, so in practice, it's really awesome, really, really fantastic. But I don't know anyone that's really taken it up. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that men are still earning more than women. So there is no point in uh, particularly, okay, again, I've done it again, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not been taken up massively because generally speaking, the the demographics of people who are going to be taking this leave are, are generally going to be men and women where it's maternity and paternity leave. And men typically still earn more than women. So it means that it means that it's not financially beneficial for the dad to take time off to be with the child because they would lose much more money. So shared parental leave, yeah, okay, a good idea. Um in practice, not quite so helpful. Oh, look at that. My next one rolls on just beautifully from uh, from this one. In 2017, we updated the Equality Act with gender pay gap information, which is a regulation which requires companies with over 250 employees to disclose their gender pay gap. And this is in an attempt to close the gender pay gap. It's in an attempt to raise awareness within companies and, you know, across the workforce. But ideally what this will do is help you identify within your company where your gender pay gap is, um, what it looks like and why it's happening. Because you have to look into so much data. It's, It's a big job pulling together your gender pay gap report. 
but it, it takes a step. It does take a step. And they're talking about bringing in um, potentially a disability pay gap um, report as well. Um, and I think we may end up seeing um, more and more pay gap reports coming out related to protected characteristics um, within the Equality Act. So that's one to be monitoring all of the time. And I think even if you aren't required by law to publish your gender pay gap information, I still think it's a really, really worthy task to undertake, it, whether it's every year or every two years, to just make sure that you are not falling foul of paying men more than women. Okay, now we're getting on to the recent stuff. 2018, big year, big year, before the dreaded C word. Um, the GDPR and Data Protection Act 2018 was introduced, which basically repeals and replaces the Data Protection Act of 1998 and incorporates the General Data Protection Regulations, which was a European piece of legislation. Now that we are, you know, now that Brexit's happened and we're not part of the European Union, there was a little bit of chatter as to whether or not that would be um, changed again, whether it would be repealed. But I think GDPR does a really good job of making data protection a bit more of a priority. And the key thing that GDPR does is it, it's the same thing as the Data Protection Act. The biggest change is that you now have to be more open with telling people how you use their information. What do you gather? Why do you need it? And what do you use it for? And how long do you retain it? That's it, really. It's not super complicated. It's basically the same as the Data Protection Act. So I don't actually think that there is much need to change it and update it now that Brexit's happened because it's still relevant. Everyone's now updated all of their policies and procedures to reflect the GDPR rules. I think it would be silly to change it now. We've all done the work. Leave it where it is. We also had the Employment Rights Regulations Amendments in 2018. This is what I was talking about earlier. So it means that terms and conditions of employment or your contract of employment must be issued from day one of employment. So the right to a contract has been in place since 1963. It's always been a thing. But since 2018, you must give it from day one. Must, must, must. And it also applies to workers. They must have um, a workers agreement in place from day one. The Employment Rights Regulations Amendments also change the way that we calculate holiday for employees and workers with variable hours and variable pay. The reference period for calculating holiday used to be the previous 12 weeks. And in 2018, it changed to be a 52 week period. And that was really to kind of capture a much more accurate picture of people's average pay. Because if people are doing seasonal work, then their pay is going to fluctuate quite a lot through the year, particularly over three, a three month period. Whereas if you're looking at the whole the year as a whole, your average is going to be much more accurate. And finally, we have the introduction of parental bereavement leave in 2018. This legislation allows two weeks of paid leave for parents who unfortunately lose a child under the age of 18. Um, this is a it's not, you know, obviously not a great situation to be in if, you, if you're having to take that leave. So I hope that no one really has to use it. But it's great to know that there are things in place to support people who go through 
something like losing a child. I think it's fantastic and really fascinating to look back at employment law over the years. You know, when you go right back to even like the 1800s, there was a law that came out. I'm not even going to try and cite the date, but it was in the 1800s. It was a law that prohibited sending children of under the age of 10 to work. And it's not until you start looking back at that that you think, wow, look at how much the world of work has changed. Look at how much more protections we give people against, you know, being exploited by their employers. I know that a lot of employers out there think that HR, employment law, whatever they want to call it, is on the side of the employee. But when you think that we used to send children under the age of 10 to work and we had to bring in a law to stop it, is it any wonder? (laughs) Really? And actually, if it wasn't for the introduction of all of these laws, those things would not be alien to us. You know, nobody in their right mind now would consider sending a kid to work you know, in a factory, you'd never, you would never think of sending a child of the age of 10 into a factory to put cars together. You just, you wouldn't, it doesn't even enter your mind. It's completely unfathomable. And that is only possible because of employment law, because we are in a, an age where people are looked after. People are an asset. People are valued and they don't have to fight for things like safe working conditions anymore. I think that's phenomenal. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about employment law, because, yeah, some of it's a pain in the ass. Yep, some of it means you've got to jump through hoops before you can do what you want to do. But you know what? That's what gives us such a fantastic society with such fantastic opportunities for people in work. And it's, yeah, I could go on about it forever. So there you have it a brief overview of 50 years of employment law and managing human resources. I hope you've enjoyed my ramblings today. I'm going to clock off and I will see you next time. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you love what you're hearing, then be sure to tell us on Facebook and Instagram at LilacHRLTD.